All right. Well, why don't we turn to Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. So, as you know, we've been going through the gospel of Mark. We've been headed through this series since August. We've been looking at the person and the work of Jesus. And it's just been a delight to actually do this with the church and do this with the family. And I know it's impacting my own life. I know it's heard many stories even throughout the week and even at this week at Life Group, people were just saying how uh, sometimes we hear bits and pieces about Jesus. Sometimes we hear, you know, uh, about that he's, he's loving, he's compassionate, he's caring, or uh, he meets us where we're at. Sometimes you often hear that, or you might say that in a context of evangelism and just say, you know, he meets you where you're at, but, and then we get to actually see it come alive in context. There's nothing like that. And we get to see who Jesus truly is. And so as we look at the gospel of Mark, we see the feeding of the 4,000. You might be thinking, how in the world is that going to be any different than the feeding of the 5,000? Uh, there is a difference. And feeding of the 5,000, just to help get some context here, we, we looked at that a, a few, about a month ago or so, maybe a little longer than that. And in uh, a couple chapters ago in Mark, uh, if, you, if you go back to Mark chapter 6, you see the feeding of the 5,000 uh, in verse 33. And that was a display of his power. You got to see Jesus taking, you know, just five loaves and, and two fish and multiplying that, literally multiplying it out of his hands and getting to see that miracle and, and getting to see that Jesus is a, it has all the power in the world to literally create something that is dead, uh, even. Um, got to create a fish ready to eat for people as he creates living fish. But in that context, he got to create something that was already dead. So that'll mess with you a little bit. And also bread that was already harvested. Um, and so he got to show that his power on display. And then we get to see here the feeding of the 4,000. We get to see something a little different and, you know, sometimes as you're reading through the Gospels, you might be thinking, well, why, why, is, why would the author write another miracle that sounds so similar? What could we learn from it? And I think the first thing we have to do is we have to trust God's word. We have to trust the inspiration of Scripture and trust that, that his people, like I said, and I think it was last week we talked about that in Second Peter we talked about how uh, men were being moved by the Spirit to write Scripture and that no word is wasted in the Bible. The, the very word of God that you hold in your hands, nothing is wasted. You shouldn't look at it. I've have done that before, and sometimes I question, like, oh, it's a great story. We can learn again. Wow, Jesus does multiply food, I suppose. That's wonderful. Uh, and then you move on to the next chapter. But there is a meaning, there's a meaning to this text that I think all of us will be very encouraged by this morning. And as you look at it, uh, let's look at it with our own eyes here in, in chapter 8, verse 1. And we'll read it through and then we'll, we'll go back and unpack it. So in those days, when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the crowd because they have remained with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them will have come from a great distance. And his disciples answered him, where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? 
It's very similar to the context in chapter six. You saw that there's this dilemma. There's this problem. Should we go and look for food in town? We don't have enough money. These people need food. And, and he was asking them, how many loaves do you have? And they said seven. You remember last time it was five. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, taking the seven loaves. He gave thanks and broke them. And he kept giving them to his disciples to serve them. And they served them to the crowd. And in verse seven, and they also had a few small fish and after he blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied. And they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. Now about 4,000 were there and he sent them away. And of course they would number the men. And so in last time you had 5,000, anywhere from probably 20 to 25,000 women and children. You can probably guess about the same now, 15, maybe 15, 20,000. And then verse 10, immediately he entered the boat and his disciples and came to a district called Dalphmuna. So basically what this chapter is all about. So if you, if you look at Mark chapter 6, God is displaying his, his power. And this, he is displaying his compassion. And throughout scripture, God is a God of compassion. In Exodus 2, 3, 23 to 24, and now it happened in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died. And the sons of Israel sighed because of slavery and they cried out and with their cry for help because of their slavery rose up to God. He heard it. He heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And so God did not leave them in that place of slavery, although he disciplined Israel and for returning to sin. And he would do that often as you remember seeing that in Babylon and then Lamentations and there's this crying out. And you see that even when they came back uh, from Babylon or from slavery, from Assyria, then you see in Nehemiah, they're crying out to God and, and asking uh, God to restore them. And God is, of course, as it says here in Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord God is compassionate. He's gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. And you also see that in Psalm 103.8 and Psalm 111.4. These are good to meditate on often. That's why we come to church. That's why we go to life group. We need to hear the compassion of the Lord. In Joel 2.13 and Nehemiah 9.17, the same. He does not forsake us. He's compassionate. Deuteronomy 44, excuse me, 4, verse 31. For the Lord your God is compassionate, God. He will not fail you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers, which he has sworn to you. Second Kings 13, 23, but the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them and turned to them because of the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he would not destroy them or cast them from his presence until now. And then lastly, you see in Lamentations and in Micah 7, 19, they're very similar. His loving kindness indeed never ceases for his compassions never fail. And Jesus, throughout his ministry, you saw that over and over again, right? You said, uh, uh, the, the fa- it's a very fancy word in the Greek, splanknizomai. Uh, you can all say that, right? Try saying that, splanknizomai. It just means to, to feel, to be moved in one's bowels. It's where you have that gut-wrenching feel. It, it's a... Uh, uh, you feel in the pit of your stomach, some, you know, as you might say, when you, when you get bad news, um, when you get the phone call, or when you hear something that's devastating, your stomach drops, you know, if you, if you will, or you're on a uh, roller coaster, um, <laughs> you feel it in your stomach. But you feel compassion uh, in your bowels. It's, you feel, Jesus felt this for the people. And I love this because it's super practical, right? As you go back uh, and, and look at the fir- first few verses, it says, I feel compassion for the crowd because they've remained with me for three days. 
I think that's kind of interesting. These people weren't really interested in crying out for food until they were about to be sent home. What does that say about Jesus's teaching? Right? As opposed to mine, you're like, I'm hungry. When are we going? Right? <laughs> right? But the, as they're listening to Christ preach, it was, it was as if they, they were just fasting naturally. Right? They, they wanted to hear more. They, they couldn't get enough. And as they were about to move back home, because they came from quite a distance, it says here, and Jesus knew that if I sent them home, they would faint. They wouldn't make it. They wouldn't make it back home because they would faint in the sun, the hot sun, and without having any food. And so Jesus, uh, I think is interesting too. He didn't, he didn't feed them right off the bat. He was just preaching and, and come all. He always had that invitation. He wasn't forcing anybody to sit there to listen to him. They wanted to be there because he was just intriguing. He was just incredible. I wish we had the, the podcast from the sermons, right? I mean, we could just, you know, go down the street and just listen to Jesus all day long. I mean, we have enough, right? I mean, the John uh, chapter 20, and at the end, you see that there was so much more that Jesus said and did. In fact, whole libraries wouldn't even be able to contain it. Uh, it wouldn't be, you wouldn't have, even if you had all the podcasts, even if you had all the sermon transcripts, you would not have enough time, a lifetime. In fact, maybe that's even what even eternity will even be more about. It's just to, to say, hey, would you would you just sit with me and show me what you did for these three and a half years and show me even what you did in childhood and, and, and kind of just, he had 33 years and we only know very, very few, of, very few years of his life. But it was enough to save man. It was enough to give us what we need to live a holy life, to, to reach the world, to, to share the gospel with people. And so compassion in the Latin means to suffer with. It's deep sympathy, pity, kindness towards those who hurt. This is who Jesus is. This is who God is in the flesh. This is in John. It says that he became God. In the, he, 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 is God he was God. He became a man in the flesh. And he, was, uh, he, he put God on, as some say. But uh, he, was, he was God for all of eternity. We know that. But as he came um, in, in, in his incarnation, he got to show us literally who God was, how he spoke, um, what he was like. And it would have just been so fascinating just to, I, I think chosen is, is not worth your time, uh, the show chosen. Don't even waste your time with it. It's just somebody's take on it. I don't want somebody's take on it. I want what the Bible says. And if the Bible doesn't give me the other, the, the other things, I don't, have to, I don't have to worry about it because that's not scripture. I want to know what the Bible says because the Holy Spirit, his job is to reveal Jesus through the scriptures. No Christian should be bored with the Bible. Sympathy, it's expressed in sel- itself, not just in words, but also in deeds. Jesus was like that. He, he expressed himself, not just in words. He wasn't just like, all right, you know, I, uh, I, I have compassion. I feel compassion. Um, but look what he says here. He says, I feel compassion for the crowd. They have nothing to eat. They will faint along the way. You know, our words are cheap today. We, we say a lot, but we do little, right? There's, and so his disciples are, hey, look, hey, I mean, you heard him. He's saying this out loud. He's saying, where will we be able to find enough bread? Where will we be able to find enough bread? As if they'd 
totally forgot the, the miracle before. But I would suggest to you that he didn't, they didn't forget. How in the world would any human being, unless they had dementia, forget the feeding of the 5,000? How would you forget a man, literally just fish coming out of his palms? It's like a vending machine. Just, you know, just this thing just coming out. It wouldn't stop. It's just never ending until everybody was what? Gorged, satisfied. I highly doubt they forgot. So why in the world are they asking this question? He says, and he was asking, how many loaves do you have? It's just a sort of a repeat. And it's Jesus, you know, he's all knowing. He knows exactly what's in their heart. They said seven. I mean, and later on you see that they had a few fish as well. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground and, kept, and, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and he, and he broke and he, and he distributed that. And if you're taking notes this morning, I think it's a good one uh, to, to just take notes and as you follow along. And uh, the first, there's just two simple points this morning. And then I have some applications uh, at the end, five application points I think you'll find very helpful. But the first one is that God is compassionate to all people. He's compassionate to all people. His disciples asked this question because they, they, they didn't doubt his power, but they doubted his purpose. You see, these, if you remember the context in the feeding of the 5,000, what was the context? They were in Galilee, there was mostly Jews. They had no problem with the fact that Jesus would feed his own people, right? But now that they're near the Decapolis, or they are, they're in Gentile region in this area, right? As you saw here uh, in the context, if it, just even in that last section when he, when he healed the man who was, uh, who was deaf. If you remember the last sermon, he's just showing compassion. He put the man aside and he, and he, and he um, I just, again, find that so fascinating as we we're talking about that in life group and, and just seeing how Jesus met that, this person, this man, where he was at by showing him what he could understand, which was sign language. And he sighed and showed his compassion, showed his distress uh, for him. He got on his level and totally understood. Hey, he got in his world and said, I, I know this must have been really hard to, to be born deaf, to not be able to hear the birds in the morning and to be able to hear people talk and, and to hear even something simple as I love you. And so he, he got in his world and he even used kind of a, a, you know, it was not fancy in their vernacular, but he said, he said in Arabic, he said, uh, be opened. And so he could understand, he could, he, he could read lips. And again, he just got in this man's world and you can imagine what he might've felt like and why he did go around and spread the fact that what Jesus did. And so he had compassion for all people and he demonstrated over and over and over again. I mean, he would do that in isolated moments to Gentile people. I mean, he did that with the Syrophoenician women, if you remember. And he'd do that over and over and over again. He wouldn't just care for the Jews, but he came to save Gentiles. But I think here that the disciples, they didn't doubt his ability. They doubted his desire. Would he, would he actually feed these many Gentiles? I mean, if it was up to me, I'd just let them go home and faint. If they fainted, they deserved it, right? That's most likely what was in the disciples' minds. They, were, they were still had prejudice towards Gentile people. They lacked compassion. They lacked compassion. 
And before you judge, just continue to listen. Acts 10, 28 and 11, 3 says this, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or visit him. They couldn't even eat with him. Uh, and, and so sure enough, Jesus is surely not going to distribute a bunch of food and we're surely not going to be eating with Gentiles, are we? You can see how this passage is quite different than the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000 was all about his power, but the feeding of the 4,000 was all about his compassion. It was all about his compassion. And yet God showed me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. I mean, Peter eventually found that out. He found that out with a, with a vision with a, uh, of, of this sheet falling down from the sky with all this unclean animals. And God saying, would you just eat the bacon? It tastes very good. You're going to die anyways. It's not like you're eating this stuff just because you're a health freak. It's because you don't think, you think this is dishonorable to the Lord. And in fact, Jesus even said in the gospels, if you remember weeks ago, we talked about that when Jesus said, all foods are clean. I mean, when you put the food inside your mouth, you're not putting a demon inside your mouth, although you might have that uh, crazy theology, but that's not what makes a man evil. What makes a man evil is their sinful nature. And so now that we got all that theology out of the way, you could see again, even... Peter would struggle with this even later on in his life and in Galatians 2, 11 to 14. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. This is Paul opposing Peter to his face because he stood condemned. There wasn't any fear of man in building the church. It simply doesn't work, does it? For prior to coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. He had a fear of man. And while God said, these people, they're, it's not these people are clean, these people are unclean. It's, it's that their hearts are wicked and their hearts are clean when I wash them. And you can eat with all sorts of people. And I want to feed all sorts of people. And he's demonstrating that, not just with the cheapness of his words. There's no cheap words with Jesus because he demonstrates everything by action. And the rest of the Jews joined him in his hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas, who is a pastor, who was so encouraging to even Paul himself, remember, was carried away by their hypocrisy. And it's really a good lesson for you that your hypocrisy will lead others to do the same. Your prejudice will do the same. The way you live your life, you can't just speak these words, these words of theology and have correct theology but have a, have a life that does not back that up. It's called integrity, character, and it's important to the Lord. It's important to the health of the church. And so Jesus is descri- he's, he's demonstrating not only his power, which he'll do, of course, in a moment, but his compassion. This was the lesson for the disciples. Remember, as we're, le- go, we're going to the cross, it's about a year till we go to the cross. Literally, it'll probably take a year till we go to the cross, Right? But, but we're, we're going there and, and, and he's changing his strategy. You, you know, this is what leaders need to do, right? I mean, it's when we planted the church years ago. And this November, it'll be 10 years. It'll be 11 years with one year of planning. But you know, after a while, we needed to change strategy. Nicole and I, as we planted the church and we got on campus and we raised up leaders and not really raising them up, but developing leaders, developing disciples. And many of them got saved with us. And as they began to lead life groups, there was a coaching, there was an apprenticeship, there was a showing. 
People learn by, by observing. That's the best way. It's on-the-job training. And then you'd leave. You'd, give the, you'd leave that life group and they'd raise up more life group leaders and you'd, you'd, you'd build a college ministry. You'd give that away. you build ADS. you give that away. you build ADS too. you give that away. you just keep giving away the jobs. That's what you do. That's what Jesus, that's how he built the church. And that doesn't stop with you. It continues. This is the way of the master. This is the way of the rabbi. We, 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 we get, as my, I remember my pastor in college and when Nicole and I would, I still remember just, it's amazing how you remember just, just little snippets from, this is like 20 some years ago. And we were sitting and, and, and I remember him saying, just get caught up into the dust of your rabbi. You know, if, if, if you're following close, you should have the dust of your rabbi. You should have dust all over you because you're following so close as they wore sandals and they, they walk and dust would be picked up and you'd want to follow so closely. You begin to look like him. So Jesus was modeling. He's saying, look, you're going to have much power. And remember in the book of Acts, I mean, just their shadows would heal people. That's pretty amazing. Handkerchiefs would heal people. And people think they could do that today. I don't think that's possible. I think it's possible, I suppose. I think it is possible, but I don't think that's the norm. I don't think that's the way God does things. I think he was demonstrating again. He was backing up the words and the sermons of Peter by the demonstration of power. And so he's demonstrating his compassion by backing it up with power saying, I'm literally going to feed these people because I know that they're in distress. But they also, they don't just need food for their bellies. They need spiritual food. They need to know how to be saved. They need to know that if they eat of the bread of life, they will never go hungry. They, they drink from the living water, as he told the woman at the well in John 4. They'll never go thirsty. But Jesus was demonstrating to them that the Gentiles are in fact included in his plan. That's you and me. That's the nations of the earth, right? It's Revelation 7, 9 from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. That's why we love the nations. That's why we put maps everywhere. That's why we give away maps at our, uh, at our game shows, you know, as you saw last week for our, for our volunteers. Maps, maps, maps galore, flags in the back. We love the nations. We love the nations. We're not prejudiced towards people that don't look like us. It's the, the, the throne room is literally surrounded by all sorts of people. Isn't that awesome? I love going. I, I love even looking in the news right now in Sweden as they're about to join NATO and you just get to hear their accents and it just brings me back to Sweden. It's like, I got to go to Sweden again. I just want to be with our Swedish friends and just to, to hear them. And as you hear news, oftentimes it, uh, the kids will watch the uh, 10 minute world watch news. It's geared for kids and from a Christian perspective. And, and uh, they also have news about uh, Japan and their, and, and their um, salty chopsticks that they have now. And they're, 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 they're making these, only Japanese would do this, right? They're, just the, they're making the, the so sodium is bad for you. So that if you eat with these chopsticks, it'll taste like salt, but you actually won't eat salt, but the soup will be salty. I mean, again, it's amazing. I, mind blowing, right? But as I look and I'm like, man, just again, something about, uh, you know, just paying attention to the nations, having it before our eyes. It just, it, it stirs my heart in uh, realizing that these people only have 444,000 Christians of a, of a nation that has 127 million people. 
that, that stirs something. When are we going to go again, Lord? You know, as we're, uh, you know, I, I have great compassion for, for people who are, in, uh, who are in Italy, who have the Vatican literally outside their front door with false religion and, and just the perpetuation of false religion and idolatry and how it's damning people every day into hell. Realizing that just stirs compassion. We've got to go to Italy. People ask, well, why are we going to Italy? Isn't there other nations? Sure, there are other nations. What's God put on your heart? He, you could pray for that nation. No one's going to stop you from doing that. You can get a big old map. I remember when we, got, when we went to Sweden, we got, everybody, we got these, a big Sweden, a map of Sweden, and we, we put the pins. We went from, uh, from the uh, Stockholm all the way to Gothenburg and, 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 and stretched our 100 people of our, in our church all across Sweden. And we got to get involved with people who are struggling and hurting and, and, the, and the church was struggling and, and how we got to make an impact in that, in that nation. And we still hear stories today. In fact, they didn't even want to go to Disney World. When they, many people came to visit us and they stayed with you because you showed them compassion. You showed them love. But you also showed love to people who didn't look like you. And I remember sending a group to Gothenburg, Sweden, about three years, ago, three years ago, and there was a town of about, I don't know, I'd say maybe 100,000 people, and I think they had about 45 to 50,000 refugees there from all nations from the Middle East. And it was from Syria. It was a very dangerous area to go to, and we were there, and we got to share the gospel with people who have never heard, people who were not like us. And this is only Jesus can do that. As you can see, a world just ridden with racism and, and prejudice and all sorts of weird stuff. And that's just not God's heart. He always, he loves, he always, he started that in mind. He made every people group and he wants to reach all people groups until the end. Listen to what one pastor says. He says, there's the journey of Jesus to Tyre and Sidon and Decapolis and to regions outside of the Jewish dominated regions of Judea. Proves that although the Gentiles are ostracized by Jews, they are not ostracized by God. Jewish denunciation against the Gentiles does not reflect divine denunciation. That is key. There is a lesson here for the people of God. Its enemies are neither forsaken by God nor beyond his compassion. And another, another one says this, the family of God is ethnically and culturally diverse. As Christians, we are not only permit such diversity, but we cherish it. This is because God himself cherishes ethnic diversity. He is not colorblind, he is colorful. And his throne, God welcomes worshipers from every tongue, tribe, nation, and language. That's who our God is. Point number two is God wants us to be compassionate. He's compassion, so he wants his people who represent him to be compassionate. He, he's, he, again, he's modeling a, a type of ministry that the disciples would one day undertake as they go to different nations. As Paul was never satisfied with just Rome, I got to get to Spain. And I would imagine if he knew there were other lands out there, he would go. You know he would never stop. If he could live to 100, if he could live to 30 more years in his life, he'd be on every ship. He'd be going to all sorts of places and he really wouldn't care what they look like because he knew God is a God of the Jews and the Gentiles. And so... One other little note, little side note to this, this theme of compassion is I think it's worth noting just to see the differences, to see that there are many skeptics 
who think that maybe even you might meet them. And I, I, and I never, I like to bring these in because I want to help you as you're on the street sharing the gospel with people. Or I, I know one of our girls was uh, sharing with a Muslim the other night and uh, because they were you know, interested in, in the Lord and wanting to learn more about Jesus. And, and so it is good to be equipped with the scriptures as you're taking people through the, through the gospel. And they might say, well, why that story? You know, that, it seems, seems like it's the same story, what's going on there. Well, again, just to point out uh, a couple of things. One, the first time Jesus was, he, he gave, there, there were 12 baskets left over. And that word basket was just a, it was just a little lunch pouch, right? It was, it was meant to show that as they were going, remember they were trying to go on rest and they were trying to find rest and they, they, they were about to go on rest on vacation just for a little bit uh, with the Lord. And then the crowds came. And so Jesus said, okay, you know what? They're here. We need to show compassion. We show love to them. And uh, I, I, when, when you refresh others, uh, you yourself will be refreshed. And you need to know that, that when you're on mission, God will take care of your bill. He'll take care of it. I've always seen, I've never seen somebody not go because of money. I've never seen someone go because they were tired, exhausted. They couldn't go. They didn't have enough energy. God always gave the grace needed. He's faithful. These stories will help us both in learning who God is, but also help us on the mission field and even telling others, okay, so what do you, what do, you do with the seven baskets? These are large baskets. This is kind of like a hamper, right? Where you throw, like a laundry basket, you know, like where you throw your clothes in. I mean, it's a, it's a large basket. It's different. It's, it's kind of the, the same, it's used, it's the same exact word used in, in Acts 9.25 when they lowered Paul uh, in that basket on the other side of the wall to get away from the bad guys, if you remember that story. And so the location was different. You got Galilee versus Decapolis. You got the group was different, Jews versus Gentiles. You have the amount that was different, 4,000 versus 5,000, and the days spent one day versus three days. I don't know how in the world you can think it's the same. I think it's just the sheer foolishness of unbelief that would cause somebody to believe that. And so as you take people through the gospels, you can show them that there's a meaning, there's, a, there's an absolute purpose for this. And the purpose was to demonstrate that God is compassionate. And maybe perhaps if you're talking to somebody from the Middle East who is Muslim saying, this gospel is for you. This gospel is for you. And you can actually look them right in the face and say that with absolute confidence because you know that the word of God is true. He's not just powerful, yeah, he is. I mean, he can, he can do anything. But this powerful God is compassionate. He's compassionate. See, the feeding of the 5,000 was a display of his power and the feeding of the 4,000 was a display of his compassion. So, so what? So I have five, five different reasons why I think we lack compassion. And perhaps you can learn something here and be convicted by one of these or maybe more and so that we can be a more compassionate people. So number one, our ignorance. I think what keeps us from being compassionate is our ignorance. We simply don't know people enough and their problems and their, their worries, their fears, their issues, their, 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 the, the, the things that, that, that they're suffering through. I mean, there's a lot of people suffering in this church. If we did a survey, if we got enough time, at least five minutes to ask, what are you going through? And we, and, we could, and we could draw that up and, and, and put that in some sort of Google form and send that out, you'd be surprised at how much suffering actually goes on around here. It's our ignorance, isn't it? Matthew 9, 35 to 38, it's a, I love this. I'll never forget this. My pastor years ago preached on this. And it's just, again, something that I remembered so 
clearly that when Jesus looked down on, on the people, as he was coming down the, the, the hill, he looked down, he says, I have compassion because I'm with a people who are without a shepherd. And so what he did was he quickly turned to his, it says in, 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 the, in verse 38, he turned, he says, you need to pray to the Lord of the harvest, which is the father, that there would be more workers because the harvest is ready. The harvest is ready. Look, you want an urgency? You got to back that thing up. Urgency, you got to back it up to a burden. And from a burden, you got to be exposed to people. You can't live in a cave. You got to ask questions. You got to be in people's lives. See, when you're exposed to everyday people, when you actually go on campus, when you feel the prompting, like there's something on campus and we're sharing the gospel and we're meeting at two o'clock at the flagpole, whatever it might be, or Mondays for the, that we do once a month, all church. And of course, don't wait for the all church ones. Just go share the gospel. But I'll tell you, when you're around lost people, it's amazing how much of a burden you get. And when you get that burden, there's a sense of urgency. Like we must go back to share. It doesn't sound like I've never left campus saying, I think we should share less. <laughs> never. But I'll tell you what, I feel like we should share less when I'm not around the lost because I'm simply not around them. I'm ignorant. Now that is not just the lost, but also that's, that's, with, that's just with, with the needs in the church. Right? I mean, if, you don't, if you're not around people, if you actually don't serve people and get around uh, people not your age and people not like you, people just, you know, find out what, what's, even in your life group, do you even know the needs in your life group? College students, do you know the needs beyond your test this week? Because it's in, in our need that we give. It's, it's, it's the suffering servant. Look at Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, do we? But one who has been tempted in all things, like we are yet without sin. He knows exactly what we go through. And it, when he was suffering, when he was ridiculed, when, he, when the beard was being plucked out of him, when he was being whipped, when he was being beaten, he looked at his mom, John, he said, look, take care of my mother. The man's dying, thirsty. And he's like caring for somebody else. So please don't give me an excuse that my, my life is just so, oh my gosh, my life is just so busy. Which brings me to my next point. Our busyness, our busyness. You can't see anyone else or anything else because you're too busy doing your own thing. You're too busy doing your own thing. You're so busy that you don't see the people's needs around you. Simply slow down, look around, listen, ask questions. Pray for brokenness. Pray for open eyes. In fact, maybe even read biographies of people that suffer greatly. Right now in the middle of J.C. Ryle, I quote him often. And one of the things, I just couldn't believe it. I didn't know this about him. But he got married and, and, you know, just the same age as most of us. We get married early 20s and, and he, he got married and a year later his wife died. And then he got married again. He had five kids and then she died again. And in his journal, I, you could just feel the pain in his journal. He said, you know, of course, I'll still serve the Lord. But now here, Lord, I'm left again with two wives that have died. And now I'm left a widow caring for five kids. I don't think anyone of us can say that right? We're not there. 
We need to know how people have suffered throughout the ages and get over our busyness. Sometimes it's simply our arrogance. Number three, it's our arrogance. We're so full of pride, we simply don't want to help and we didn't acknowledge it. You know, sometimes you just don't care. We're numb. We're just like, you know, here, you, I know we've been there. I've been there. You hear a need. You hear something. You're just like, I just don't want to hear another need. You know, and by the way, if I'm honest, God helps those who help themselves. Which is, by the way, not in the Bible. There's no verse, chapter for that. It's from Satan. We need to pray for a soft, broken heart. Only those harps have antennas that are receptive to pain. To, 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 when you go through something, you know, when God takes you through, it's like we could say all we want, like, oh, COVID, yeah, it's a joke until you get it. It's amazing how that works, right? And then it's like, hey, does anybody else need chicken soup? God sometimes will allow you to go through pain. Yes, through sickness. Yes, he does bring that on people. He does. For a reason, for a purpose, to soften our hearts, to level you, <laughs> to humble you, to say, look, wake up. The world doesn't revolve around you. It's our pride. Number four, our pride, our selfishness. We're so preoccupied with our own stuff. We're prejudiced. We only help our own kind. You know, it's so easy to help your own kind. Maybe it's just like, hey, just us college students, man, we got to stick together. I don't know nobody says that. You don't even think outside your little box. Like, hey, maybe there's some elderly in our church that needs some help. Maybe they need pulling of weeds. Maybe they need some help. Maybe they need a grocery run. What's going on in their world? I'll tell you what, Nicole and I, when we were in college, it was our great joy to serve. We knew one day we'd have kids. We knew one day our lives would get more complicated. We understood that because we went to a life group that was empty nesters. They, they, they just were, there was, there was like, you know, cancer in the group. There was ailments in the group. There were things going on in the group. There was divorce in the group. There was problems in the group. And it opened up our ears beyond our little healthy life that we had. And we were able to see things. What are you doing? How, how do you get, how, how do you know the needs? Asking around, asking the elders, how can we serve? Asking moms, how can they serve? But I will say this, moms, if you've never served, then don't think you're going to get it. Because it, there is something about when you sow, you reap. It's in the Bible. It's Galatians 6. It doesn't lie. So that you sow, you reap. But be, I don't think prejudice always has to do with just the, you know, I don't think I don't think the church has a race problem. I mean, we we love the nations, we love all people, but I think just even prejudice to your own your own people group, your own kind, you know, your own your own little your own little group, your own little friend group. Get outside of that. Expand your horizons. Don't let this not be a clickish church. This is not what God wanted to. This is not what He had in mind when He when He built this church, and even in the planning phases eleven years ago. Clicks are are not of him. Look with Ruth, Ruth 1, 16 to 18. But Ruth said, do not press me to forsake you in turning back from following you. She's saying this to Naomi who lost everything, husband, kids. For where you go, I'll go. 
Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Wherever, where you die, I will die. She's going all the way. She's such compassion. She's showing whatever you're buried, I'll be buried. Naomi, I'm going all the way with you. We're a different breed. Right? Jew, Gentile. I mean, they don't belong together. There's just this sense of love, this sense of compassion. And of course, you see that in Boaz. And Boaz had compassion for Naomi. And Boaz had compassion for Ruth. And Ruth for Naomi. And Naomi for Ruth. It was a wonderful story. If you you get those messages online back in November when we were studying the book of Ruth in Miami. What a wonderful story of compassion. Demonstration of people who love each other, even in their own need. In their own need. You know what? I hope no one says this. I caught this during one of my quiet times. I caught this the other day and it just struck me. I said, man, I hope nobody in our church would say this. You find this in Psalm 69, 20. It says this, reproach has broken my heart and I'm so sick. And I hope for sympathy, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. Is that you this morning? Have you said that? Have you said that as you're even throughout the day at the workplace? Man, I just, I feel like I, I just have so many, I'm being buried and I, I feel like I want, I want more comforters, but I have none. And you think of the church. Now listen, that can turn into pity party, right? And that can turn into woe is me. That can turn into blaming people for your problems or well, nobody calls me. I mean, I've been, how many times have you been there? Nobody's calling me. Nobody's texting me. Go cry, pick up your phone and call somebody. Because sometimes God will allow that to happen. Sometimes he won't allow people, he won't tap the shoulder of another and prompt a believer, a brother or sister to call you because we find another passage in Psalm 69, 16 to 17. Answer me, O Yahweh, for your loving kindness is good. According to the abundance of your compassion, turn to me. And do not hide your face from your slave for I'm in distress. Answer me quickly. In the same Psalm, Psalm 69, 33, says, for Yahweh hears the needy and does not despise his who are prisoners. In other words, sometimes God refrains from allowing someone to quickly comfort you from man because he wants you to find it in him. He wants you to find it in him. And we need that. We need both. And God wants us to show that he wants us to receive compassion from God, but he wants us to also be compassionate towards our brothers and sisters. And lastly here, number five, it's our forgetfulness. Our forgetfulness. You forget that you are a sinner and you have a great need. Don't you remember where you once were? Did you forget so quickly? You know, it's amazing when I was discipling people early on, Many of them are the elders today and the wives Nicole had. It was a wonderful privilege of starting fresh. But you know, one of the things that I found to be true, this is true in my own life, is that the very compassion we showed unbelievers as they entered into the church and they overcame lots of, you know, hangups and sin and they got to see compassion and and the grace of God and the mercy of God and they got to grow in greater holiness spiritual maturity. But as soon as they started getting into a discipleship relationship, it was amazing how quickly they'd forget their own sin. 
Don't you get it? I mean, how can you not understand this? And I, I, this happened all the time, right? They would come back, I don't know what to do with these people. Wow, that sounds very familiar. Sounds like my prayer request. Sounds like my time with the Lord about you. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? How quickly we forget. Luke 15, 20, so he rose up, came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. It might serve you well to read Psalm 78 to remember, to pass on to generation to generation, not your compassion, but God's, not your grace, as if it came from your source and your heart, but God's. Matthew 18, 25 to 35, it's a great one. You can read that for homework. Forgiveness and compassion. Look what happens when you don't show compassion. Maybe do that in life group. Find out what the righteous judge will do when he shows you compassion and then you decide to turn around and not show somebody else. I'll, have, I'll give you a little hint. It doesn't go well. You forget how much God has blessed you. You knew his forgiveness. You showed your, he showed you much compassion. He showed you much mercy. I find this to be so true in my own life. But look at how Joseph, and we'll end with this. Look at how Joseph showed his brothers such love and had such perspective. Because I think that's what we need. We need perspective. We're so quick to withhold compassion to our spouse or to our kids or to our people and our church and our life group, our D houses or whatever. This is in Genesis 50, 18. Of course, you know the story of Joseph, what happens in verse 18 to 21. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your slaves. It's like, we're done. (laughs) You're in charge. You're the second in command and we're on your turf now. And it's probably not going to go well for us brothers, is it? But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid for I'm in God's place. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to do what has happened on this day to keep many people alive. So now do not be afraid. I will provide for you. See, that's the Lord's heart, isn't it? Providing for all those Gentile people and provide for your little ones. And he comforted them and he spoke to their heart. That's exactly what our Lord has done. Something that we all don't deserve. He not only fed us physically, and he does that often on a daily basis, which is called common grace. But he took it a step further, which would help us in eternity. He gave us the bread of life. And so we really have no business withholding compassion. But I want to ask you maybe even this morning that maybe you need to receive that compassion for the first time. You need to know his grace. You need to know his love. You need to know again his mercy. And I love that. Is it one of the, the hymns for, uh, it's called the God of Compassion. And, and, I, and I'm not going to read all of it, but I thought it was fitting. He says, and with compassion for the hurting, you reached out your hand. And as he's going through this hymn, he says, you showed us compassion. Oh, God of compassion, you showed the world your compassion. And now, Lord, help us to show the world your compassion. Because those who have been touched by it, it's inevitable that they hand it out. 
they distribute it. And so we say again with another hymn, Jesus, thank you. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. Your father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. By your perfect sacrifice, I've been brought near. Your enemy, you now have made your friend, pouring out riches, glorious grace, your mercy and your kindness knows no end. That's who we serve, a God of compassion. Father, we thank you for giving us, again, just another glimpse, another facet of the diamond and seeing how amazingly beautiful you really are and how good you are. This is the true Jesus, the one who jumps off the pages of Scripture by the means of your Holy Spirit. It's virtually impossible for any one of us here to even get it without the power of the Spirit. And so, Lord, would you illuminate people's hearts so that they can read your word freely without distraction so that they can know, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, that 